materiality is one of the most important aspects of ESG for many investors. But the key question is whether investors should look only at ESG issues that are material for a given company or if they should consider a broad set of ESG factors that are comparable across businesses. Now, what happens when investors focus on material data exclusively? Do we need to adopt a different approach? Joining us for this discussion is Meg Starr, the Global Head of Impact at the Carlisle Group. Meg, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Keitha. So let's kick off the conversation with just the fact that people really love talking about ESG data. But when you break it down, what utility is there for an investor? I love starting with this question because when we talk about ESG data, I think it's really important to ground the conversation in the question, what's the point of the ESG data? I'd say we focus on two main use cases. The first is, how do you use ESG data to make better investing decisions? And the second is, how do you use data to convey important information to investors and shareholders? I think if ESG data collection isn't oriented towards one of those goals, it can quickly become a marketing or a compliance exercise which really plays into the worst stereotypes of what ESG is. So I think the, the interesting question is, how do you use ESG data to draw better insights, mitigate risk, capture growth markets, and really drive financial values? Um, as private markets have become more and more efficiently priced, I think of ESG as an underutilized lens for finding inefficiencies and ultimately alpha. But to do that well, you need good ESG data which tends to be quantitative performance data, not binary indicators of yes, no, this company has a diversity policy or yes, no, they disclose it. And I'm glad you mentioned that sometimes these things are perceived as marketing um, opportunities or marketing campaigns as opposed <laughs> to a deeper dive. So thanks for clarifying that. And I want to look specifically at bespoke material data. So is this primarily the data that matters for investors? I would say this isn't the only data that matters, but it is really important for driving financial value within individual companies. So at Carlisle, we use SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board's as a materiality framework to design a core set of quantitative ESG KPIs that we track for some of our largest investments. The reason those data are important um, is a fewfold. First, that data can really help target interventions to reduce costs and drive value. I think energy is a pretty obvious one. If you're tracking energy use, if you're tracking carbon dioxide emissions, it can help you find inefficiencies in areas where you can really drive down costs. But there are other areas that you can track and monitor as well. Employee health and safety is a great one. We work with one of our portfolio companies, Paradigm Precision, to focus on reduced lost time instances across their manufacturing um, facilities. They reduce those lost time instances by about 55% over two years. Huge social win for the safety of employees, but a huge cost win as well. Um, similarly, there's a lot of interesting data around healthcare. Um, Veritas Technologies, another portfolio company of ours, is a tech company with about 7,000 employees. We help them move from a traditional healthcare carrier model to a healthcare navigator model, where there's a centralized person that helps their employees navigate the healthcare system. 
over a couple of years of using that model, they saw higher than average annual physicals, which led to earlier disease detection and lower specialty drug spend. And so that coordinated approach not only helped improve the outcomes of their employees, but reduce healthcare costs by about 25% per employee over a two-year period. So I'd say number one is it can really help target interventions and reduce costs. The second driver is that better ESG data tailored to a company can help with customer acquisition. Increasingly, the next generation of customers really value sustainability traits. So you can use data to get differentiated certifications, palm oil-free products, EPA safer choice products, And in fact, a lot of ESG data is now required by many of the larger retailers in order to sell into their stores and can really determine your shelf space. If you have the cleaner, greener products, increasingly you get front of shelf space. And then I think the last thing I would say is that material bespoke data is increasingly being valued by the public market and other investors, which is really important to us as we look to potentially exit investments. We did some research in February, for example, and saw that if you can take a typical oil and gas company and transition it from 0% of revenues from renewables to 30% of revenues from renewables, you could double the typical energy company's EBITDA multiple on exit. But there's some really interesting ways that by tracking very bespoke, very tailored ESG data, it can help drive much more insightful investment decisions around cost basis, around increasing revenues, and increasingly around the value of a company. And those are such great nuggets there. I am actually still on your point about the shelf space. That is so interesting. (laughs) Is that something that you would say was not the case maybe five years ago, that you did not have to have that branding and the message and the reality of the SG behind your brand to get that premium shelf space? Definitely. I think that's been a real shift we've seen in terms of consumer preferences, but also increased transparency around what is in the products that consumers are purchasing. In certain regions, that's driven by legislation. So for example, the EU's REACH legislation. But I'll give you an example of a U.S. portfolio company of ours, a company called Wyman, which um, makes specialty cleaning products for the home. We acquired them in early 2019, and a growth thesis we identified was this shift in consumer demand to cleaner, greener products. And we had a a couple of things right off the bat. Um, Wyman had a really strong approach and was already focused on this area. But one of the first things we did in partnership with them was we put a sustainability expert with a background in chemical engineering on their board of directors. We also worked on getting a bunch of their products certified under these different regimes. So, for example, getting products certified as EPA safer choice um, or getting certain materials on the EU reach and customer list. So we worked on reformulating some of the chemical ingredients to make sure that the products were getting certified. And interestingly, to your point about the kind of end retailers, we helped them with their sustainability scorecard for Walmart, which Walmart requires of all of their suppliers now. And in one year, their scorecard went up 24 percentage points, which, again, really helps as they think about selling into those end retailers. And finally, the last thing I did was they acquired um, a new company for a new product line that was really focused on these green consumer products. And so I just, I I like Wyman because it's a great example of saying it's a really strong company that was focused on this growth theme, but some of the tools of private equity 
making acquisitions, bringing in board expertise, they're really helping develop the internal capacity is what's helped it create this shift to start meeting and to, to keep meeting these increased consumer demand for these products. So that the Wyman is a great example. You talk about the shift in consumer behavior and really consumer attitudes as well as how the the board can influence in that way. I wanted to talk a bit about another use case that we actually spoke about right before the podcast, which was a Spanish jeans producer. Um, and basically, I, well, I'll let you share the background. I was really interested in how consultation could lead to something as tangible and real as reduced water usage or gas usage. But tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah so Genealogy is a company you're referring to, and it's, it's one of my favorite companies. Um, I, I'm probably not supposed to say that. <laughs> but Genealogy is a Spanish-based company um, that finishes denim. And so they have a special technology um, that helps finish garments as part of the global fashion industry. And so the technology that they have actually saves a significant amount of water, energy, and chemicals relative to peers. It uses about 85% less water relative to the other technologies in the market. And so genealogy's technology is used to create about 15% of the world's 6 billion genes that are produced every year, which is a huge footprint. And so in 2018 alone, the firm's technology saved about 10.7 million cubic meters of water. So we've been tracking these bespoke ESG KPIs because it's really core to the business. So number one, if you're using less energy, less water, less chemicals, that reduces your cost basis. Number two, it also really increases your revenues because increasingly people are going to want to buy that technology because it's more efficient. And it also helps demonstrate the sustainability characteristics, which end denim consumers are increasingly valuing. But then the third piece, which I think is the most interesting, is that we actually use those ESG KPIs to link that data to financing that we did at the end of last year. And so Genealogia did a funded term loan that was linked to that ESG criteria, which I think is pretty interesting. So the cost of their debt was linked to the water reduction target. And so if the company hits the annual water savings target, then the price of their debt goes down. If they miss that target by 15% or more, the pricing ratchet up, ratchets upwards. So I just think genealogy is a really great example of that material data helped reduce costs, increase revenues, and is now led to a pricing premium on their debt. So great example there. And I'm just wondering, if we think about the differences across sectors, I'm wondering if we can compare ESG data um, across companies and across sectors. And I want to call out here that um, the concept of materiality might differ from sector to sector at first, right? Um, for example, Refinitiv's materiality matrix scores takes into account the fact that not all metrics have the same importance to every industry. So with that being said, Meg, how can we look at standardizing and really looking at a comparable approach when you have different sectors that have different issues or challenges? I love this question because I think it represents a really interesting moment that we're in in the ESG space. And, and I think there's kind of two schools of thought here. And I'd like to posit that both schools of thought are right. 
So one school of thought says we need this material bespoke ESG data because that helps us really understand a company, target interventions, build a better business. The other camp says, yes, but we need standardized ESG data that is relevant across industries, across sectors, because investors need comparable data if we're really going to move flows of capital here. They need metrics that look like things like IRR or MOEX that we have on the traditional financial side. And my response to that is that neither side is wrong, but we need both. And so I think the approach that makes a lot of sense is to take this barbell approach of saying, on one hand, you need the material bespoke data, but you also need to complement that with portfolio-wide metrics that are comparable across companies. Um, so I'll, I'll give one example of the data that we're tracking across our portfolio companies. I think diversity and inclusion is increasingly an issue that is material across a whole host of companies. It, you know, regardless of the industry, of the geography, et cetera. So we track data across our portfolio companies, um, the diversity of the boards of directors, um, management teams, and um, direct reports to the CEO, and the broad-based workforce. And what I think is interesting about that is that really helps us get a better sense of where we are across our portfolio, and importantly, where we can find real financial correlations between ESG data and financial performance. So we did some research. Um, we published it recently. Our Carlisle's 2020 impact review came out two weeks ago. It's at carlisle.com slash impact if anyone wants to read this report and get more detail. But we basically looked over the past three full years of our portfolio companies. And because we have that detailed diversity data, which we can then tie to the detailed financial data we track on these portfolio companies, we could start really parsing it in an interesting way. So we found that our portfolio companies that had two or more diverse board members have nearly 12% faster annualized earnings growth than our companies that don't have diverse boards of directors. An interesting thing is we, we could go even deeper. And so we controlled for industry fund vintage year and found that each diverse board member is associated with a 5% increase in annualized earnings growth. And so there's a kind of a clear correlation for each additional diverse member. And so data like that is vital because it helps us demonstrate empirically the tie between ESG factors and broad-based financial performance. And that in turn helps us set goals across our portfolio and really start driving more systemic change on the issues we know that are material broadly, such as diversity and inclusion, the energy transition, engaged employees, et cetera. And it's great to hear the numbers that are attached there. And I think the more that we call out the numbers, the better off we'll all be. In terms of linking ESG KPIs to pricing targets, in terms of linking ESG KPIs to performance, how are we able to do that? I think the, the real shift we've seen in the field is that ESG data in its earliest forms, I hesitate to even use the word data. A lot of times it was ESG scores or ESG reporting. And so again, it was these binary indicators of yes, no, we have a diversity policy. Yes, no, we disclose it. We've really now advanced in our understanding and maturity of what data looks like. And so instead of just focusing on do they have a diversity policy, we can actually get in the weeds and measure the diversity of the workforce and leadership teams. 
And so I think a real shift has been saying that if we want to use this data with the rigor that we use financial data, we need to shift towards performance-based numeric ESG data. And that, in turn, then can be used to link to financing, to link to financial performance. And so I think it just represents the next generation of ESG data and ESG data in its best version of itself, you know, being used to help drive better investment decisions and real financial value. What a great way to end. Performance-based numeric ESG data is the next generation of ESG data. <laughs> Love that. Meg Starr, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. This was very fun. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.